Good morning, Lincoln Avenue. <clears throat> Congratulations to uh, Gage. Uh, awesome uh, public demonstration of uh, being joined to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I want to encourage you that uh, <clears throat> in the next service, in our 11 o'clock service, Alan Wilson. Uh, many of you may know Alan, Alan Brigida. Uh, Alan will be uh, baptized at the end of that service. And so we rejoice at uh, God's favor and his goodness and what he's doing in, in the lives of folks. Open your Bibles to Exodus 20 and Matthew 5. We're going to do kind of like we did last, or two weeks ago. Actually, last week as well. We, <clears throat> we've been working our way through the Ten Commandments. And so we're going to spotlight one of the commandments. We're going to take a commandment. We're also going to look at the New Testament commentary. Most of them have uh, what I would call a New Testament commentary on the commandment, and this one certainly is the case. And so we're going to be looking at the seventh commandment, which is Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. And then we are going to also look parallel with Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 30. Many of you may be kind of wondering how we came to the decision today to not have uh, our Sunday night children's small group. Many of your groups may still be meeting. You really need to check with your group, um, but we're not having children's small group. Uh, at the Lincoln campus. We're also not having our Wednesday activity, which normally would be Team Kids. This week was going to be Trunk or Treat. We decided to, to cancel that as well, just in lieu of kind of the peaks and valleys of the virus. And so you may be asking, well, why did you cancel those? But you still have Children's Church. Uh, a lot of it, honestly, guys, depends on what we feel we can staff adequately. And so there, there are certain ministries that are heavy staffing, which require a bunch of people to have to come. And we, don't, we really don't want that. And so uh, while we're open and prayerfully we'll, we'll remain open, um, the ministries that we can do with minimal staffing are the ones that uh, we can do the longest, I guess. And so prayerfully the virus will turn, take another turn downward and people get well, people get better, and uh, we'll be back to normal soon. Um, but for today, no Sunday school and then no children's small group tonight. Exodus 20 verse 14 is where I'm going to start reading, and then I'm going to switch over to Matthew 5. And then we'll pray and get started. The seventh commandment in Exodus 20, 14 is you shall not commit adultery. And when we move into the New Testament, into Jesus' description of this commandment, he says in Matthew 5, 27, you have heard it, it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than that the whole, your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, your, your tender mercy upon us today. God, our, my, God, my heart is just full of thankfulness. God, thankful for who you are, thankful for your promises. Thank you, thank you for your church. God, thank you for uh, your blessings in, in Christ and the riches of our salvation. Father, we thank you for the covenant of marriage. And God, we, we pray that you might today help us to see that marriage in, in a new light, in, in view of, of Christ and the church, in view of, of the, the description in Genesis of, of the one flesh union. Father, help us to see marriage as we ought to see it. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us and instruct us and lead us into life. God, please lead us into life. God, I pray that you protect the people in this room. Protect us from sin and lead us into righteousness. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you've been with us through our series in the Ten Commandments, we have been very much emphasizing again and again and again that you cannot be righteous through the commandments. That is not the purpose of the Ten Commandments. It, it is not 
how you become righteous. You can't try real hard. You can't be better than other people. You can't make up for your transgressions by doing some good deeds. None of those things will bring righteousness. They will not bring you into a right relationship with God. You cannot look at, at your Christian life as, well, I'm gonna put all my, all my good deeds over here on this side of the scale, and then all my sins are gonna be over here, and I'm just hoping and trying to work real hard so that, so that the thing balances out, and I've got more good deeds than I do bad deeds, and so God will say, come on into heaven. That is absolutely false. That is not Christianity. That is not the gospel. That is not the Bible, okay? Uh, please, every week we keep talking about this. Every week I have somebody who, who comes and says, you know what, man, I was stuck in that. Like, I, I believe that. that. That's where I was. And, and even others are struggling still with it. I heard of, of a person this last week that's still struggling to get their head around. You mean that's not Christianity? Absolutely, that is not Christianity. Christianity is this. You and I are hopelessly broken in our sins, okay? Not only have we broken God's commandment, there's a bigger problem. Problem. The bigger problem is we are deeply broken, okay? We have rejected God himself. He is, my friends, hear this out. He is the greatest treasure in all the universe, and every man, woman, and child has treated the greatest treasure in the universe like we treat the hideous sweater that our aunt gives us on Christmas, you know? We're polite, that, that's the way most people live toward God. We are polite toward him, but really, we don't want anything to do with him. We, we want something else. We didn't want the sweater. We wanted a race car. We wanted a BB gun. We wanted something else. We did not want the sweater. We'll say, we're, God, you know, thanks, God. Thanks for all you've done. We're real polite. But really, we don't want you, God. We want everything else but you. That is the heart of our problem, is that we're not interested in God. We don't value God. We, we, we don't put him first. We don't treasure him. We covet and worship everything but him. And the Bible says there is no way, there is no path back to God for you and for me based on our good deeds. That doesn't work. The law, really, the law teaches us that. And if we'll not minimize it, which is what the Pharisees did, right? They like minimize it down to the, to the, the very worst thing and said, well, you know what? <clears throat> I haven't done that. You know, so it must be okay, all right? We won't compare ourselves to others and be like, well, you know what? Those people, those church people or that Sunday school teacher or that deacon or that pastor, I'm better than them. And so I must be okay, all right? All of that is a broken theology, Two weeks ago, we looked at you shall not murder, and Jesus taught us in Matthew 5 that to be murderous in your thoughts, in your anger, to be slashing and cutting in your words that mean to inflict damage on people, you have broken the commandment. And what, what we've really seen as we've walked through the commandments is we've broken all of the commandments, which means we need a savior. We need the righteousness of Jesus, okay? That is our only hope. Our only hope is that Jesus is righteous. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus lived the perfect life. Jesus is the righteous one. Jesus is perfectly pleasing to the Father, and he paid the penalty for our sins, and so we can be righteous by being joined to Jesus. 
And by the way, this is not a New Testament thing, okay? God didn't switch things up. God didn't get, you know, through the Old Testament, it was by the laws, by good works, and all of a sudden, the New Testament, he's got this new plan. Not at all. In fact, those of you who've been reading through our, our reading plan, uh, the 80 days through God's story, okay, if you have been doing that, you read Isaiah 53 this last week. And by the way, there are incredible verses about the crucifixion of Jesus, um, verse five is he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement fell that brought us peace. Uh, incredible verses, but I, I'm really interested this week. The verse that grabbed hold of me was verse 11. And it says this, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Man, do you see that? He, he, will, he will make many to be accounted righteous. God, God will make us righteous through his servant, Jesus Christ. That is the beauty of the gospel. That in union with Christ, we get his righteousness, all right? And he puts his Holy Spirit in us and we get a new heart, and we get a new mind, and we get a new will that longs to live righteously, that longs to be holy as God is holy, and, and then that loves his law. Now, now, one of the things we've been trying to do in, in all of these series through the Ten Commandments is say, okay, if you can't be saved by, obey, by obeying the Ten Commandments, then what are they for? Well, obviously, they're to point out our sin and our need for a Savior, but the thing I want to emphasize to you today, because of this commandment, you shall not commit adultery, is one of the things that the law of God does is it shows us how to live, okay? Now, I'm not talking about how to stay alive. There are a lot of people that stay alive that don't really live, okay? We're not talking about, about just your heart beating and your lungs are, are, are breathing. We're, we're talking about really live, like flourish, like, 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 like understand who God is and his character and his word and then live by that and flourish, okay? So one of the things the law does is it reveals it reveals how to live. It reveals who God is and what he's done, his holy standard, and how we can be right in the center of that. And when you look through your Old Testament either, even, you see that that's how the saints looked at the law of God, all right? So, so I wanna read you some of my favorite passages out of Psalm 119, all right? Listen to how this guy talks about the law of God. Psalm 119, verse one, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes and do not utterly forsake me. Do you see how he's talking about God's law? You know, he's saying, man, I love it. He's saying, happy, the word blessed, just insert happy. Happy is the guy who loves God's law. Happy is the guy who knows God's law. Happy is the guy who lives by God's law. If we go on, uh, another favorite passage of mine in Psalm 119 is verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts. I hold back. They, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste. He's talking about his law. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Okay, that, that, that's a different way of looking at God's law, isn't it? Like, like when, when the psalmist reads the 10 commandments, when he reads, you shall not commit adultery, what he sees is life. 
He's like, man, I love this. This is how I can live. This is how I can flourish. This is how I can be blessed. This is what will bring me happiness is, is living according to the law. In other words, the law is not to make you righteous. Only Jesus can do that. We've already blown it. We've already sinned against God. We're sinners by, by birth and by nature and by practice. Jesus is the only means for our righteousness, but the law leads us to life. It leads us to really live, okay? Because he is life, and so we, we see his character, and, and, and we're drawn to it. And, and so the law teaches us how to live and how to avoid misery, how to avoid losing our fellowship with God, how sin messes everything up. And so when we read our text, okay, when we go back to the Ten Commandments and we get to the seventh one and we read, you shall not commit adultery, we should know what is God, what God is communicating for us is for our life. It is for our flourishing. It is for our joy. It is to keep us from misery, all right? I really wanna emphasize that because sex in our culture is so distorted that, that often whenever, whenever people have any kind of parameters, you know, hindering full sexual, sexual expression, the, in their minds, that's like some sort of hindrance to their life and some sort of hindrance to them really living. And, and the Bible would say the opposite. The Bible would say, man, if you, if you will keep it in the context of God's covenant, it is life. It is joy. Any, any way out of that is misery, and God is giving us his law to keep us from misery, okay? You shall not commit adultery is based on covenant. It is based on the covenant of marriage, the promises of marriage. And listen, listen, this is so consistent with God's character because God is a covenant maker. Like you read your whole Old Testament, it's all based on covenant, you know, like, like you, get to, you get to Abraham. There's covenants before Abraham, but Abraham's my favorite one. And, and God just appears to Abraham. He says, look, Abraham, this is what I will do for you. Isn't that great? Like God doesn't start out and say, all right, Abraham, if you do this, this, and this, then I'll do this. We'll trade. We'll barter, all right? Abraham, you give me this. I'll give you that. God doesn't do that, okay? That, 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 that is not God's character. God's character is this covenant-making God, where God just appears to Abraham and says, all right, Abraham, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a son in your old age, and that son's gonna become a nation, and that nation is, is gonna have a land, and in that land and through that nation, there's gonna come a Messiah who's gonna save the world, Abraham. There's gonna be one from your family who's gonna bless every family on the face of the earth. I mean, God, God's just making promises to him. And then Abraham just believes. That's, that's all Abraham does, is he just believes God's promises. God is a covenant maker, a covenant keeper. And marriage is a covenant, okay? And, and, and so when God says in, in verse seven, I, I think my, my little boy was uh, quoting to me the Ten Commandments the other day and uh, in Sunday school or team get or something, they, they'd given kind of a, a preschool edition because what did he say? He said, uh, he was going through the commandments and he said, you shall keep your promises or you should keep your marriage promise or your covenant. I, I don't know. He didn't say you shall not commit adultery, but someone has, has, has basically given him some framework of that to say, you know, you shall not commit adultery is about keeping the marriage promise, keeping the marriage covenant, okay? Now listen, when you break covenants, there are consequences for that. We had a, a really good illustration, a really vivid illustration of that in our life this week. Um, we, had, we have been in our house for 15 years, the one we're in now. We lived on Wheat Ridge for seven or eight or nine, I don't know, quite a while uh, before we bought the house on, 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 on Cheyenne. And uh, I think we've been in there 15 years. And so 15 years ago, we made a covenant 
with the city of Woodward. You guys have probably done the same, right? Uh, well, they, they made promises to us. They said, we promise to give you water to drink and bathe and wash your dishes and flush your toilet and water your lawn, which is all wonderful things. And then we made a covenant back to them and we said, we'll, we'll pay our, our bill on the 10th of every month, right? And things rocked along really smoothly uh, until this month when I broke the covenant, okay? I broke the covenant and the 10th came and I gave them no money. And then the 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 went by. It was not intentional, my friends. I, I don't want you to think I'm an intentional covenant breaker. I was not. I had stuck the bill down in my book bag and then my headphones had gotten on top of it. And I usually just like look for bills. Like I put them in my book bag. It was on the bottom. It was underneath. I didn't see it. I just didn't even think about it. And, and then they, they were gracious enough to send a reminder letter, you know, that, hey, you have broken the covenant. You've broken your end of this, this deal, okay? And, and, and but that, that was in our mailbox. And Emma had gone to Indiana to visit um, her dad. Her dad's in failing health, and so she was spending some time with her dad, and I didn't even check the mail. We were just busy. Our family was busy, and, and so the, the night of the 20th came, and I, I finally, late at night, I checked the mail. I was like, oh, man, they, they give you a red one, you know, when, when, you've been, when you've broken your covenant. They give you a red one, and, and so I was like, oh, so I went in and wrote the check, and the next day came, and I had counseling in the morning, and meetings throughout the day, and, and I just kept thinking, I got to go pay that, and, and finally about three o'clock, I was like, I got to go do that. I got my car, I buzzed over there, seventh of Main, dropped it in their little box, and I went and picked up the kids, and, and, and we went home to get ready for church that night, and we got home. There's no water. We turned on, and there's no water. Why? Because I broke the covenant, okay? I broke the covenant, and, and, and so there, there was consequences for that, all right? The consequence was we had no water that night, okay? And so I called them, and I, and I said, hey, the, the bill's in the box, man. The bill's in the box, and like, okay, we'll turn the water back on. If the bill's in the box, if it's there, well, we'll, we'll turn it back on. But I want you to understand, and, and this, this story's gonna unfold this, that some sins have a cascade, okay? They have a waterfall of consequences, all right? I, I need you to understand that, all right? So they, they, they made their agreement to turn the water back on, but meanwhile, we had left. We had gone to church, and, and listen, I don't wanna pin this on anybody. I don't know exactly what happened. Nobody maybe will ever know until heaven, uh, but I do know that one member of our family was incredibly interested in this reality that we had no water. And, and, and that one member was testing lots of faucets and testing lots of, you know, to, yeah, there's a little bit in this one, dad, and there's a little bit, you know, hey, buddy, it's, it, you know, it, it's off. And, but I, we, we do not know what happened. It could have been anybody. It could have been me, absolutely. But what we do know is that around eight o'clock, my girls got done with youth and they went home and they called me. I was in a missions meeting and, and we had indeed a cascade of waterfall flowing from our top floor down into our middle floor and down into our basement and what ended up to be hundreds of gallons of water uh, that we bucketed out of the bottom under the heater. There's a trap. There's like a three by three, four foot deep or so. It was clear full carpets, walls, everything, sheetrock coming down. Um, by the way, the furnace is out as well. And interestingly enough, the repairman thinks that had nothing to do with the water. Isn't that, isn't that a strange coincidence? But you know, things happen like that in life. And, and so, you know, for the next couple of days, all of a sudden we're 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 sleeping with an industrial fan beside the bed. Have you ever done that? Have you ever tried to do that? It's, it's similar to sleeping by a jet engine. Actually, it, it's, it's very similar to that. The good news is, though, even though we do not have a furnace, our house is not cold. Many of you guys, you have to run a furnace to keep your household. We actually have a greenhouse effect in our house, and so somehow the science behind this, maybe someone could explain it to me. But because our basement has no windows or anything, it's it, there's this this growing. Um, I don't know. It's, it's growing anyway. This 
this heat is coming up, this chemical reaction is coming up and actually heating most of the house. Isn't, isn't that amazing? And by the way, our skin is moist. If you look at any of our family, some of you guys, you're dry skinned. Winter's coming on in Oklahoma and heater's been drying out your house and you got scales. Not us. We live in the tropics, okay? And, and so anyway, it's, 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 it's been fine, and God has been so merciful and good, sending friend after friend right when we needed materials. Even the insurance company's been nice. They haven't paid anything, but they've been really nice, and which is, is something. And, and, and so God provides all that. But here's, here's why I want to tell you that story is because many times when we think of breaking a commandment, we think there'll be, there'll be this one consequence, okay? But, but often what we see in the scriptures and what the Bible is very clear to point out is that there are some sins. And, and I don't know that we can say just this sins this way or this sins this way, but oftentimes there are sins that have cascading, okay, waterfalling consequences. In other words, consequence upon consequence, multiplied consequences for years after years. And the Bible would present to you the law of God to keep you from that. Okay, did you hear that? The Bible would present to you the law of God to keep you from those multiplied consequences. In other words, when, 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 the, when, the, when the Old Testament writers wrote like books like the Proverbs, one of the amazing things they did was they said, here's how you, you ought to teach your kids about marriage. Here's how you ought to teach your kids about the covenant of marriage and about adultery. And you should show them that there, there will be multiplied consequences for the sin of adultery. In Proverbs chapter five, listen to these. These are some of my, 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 my the most stark, I think, vivid um, consequences for, for, for sin in the Bible. So I'm gonna read a little bit out of five, a little bit out of six, a little bit out of seven. So chapter five, verses seven uh, through 14. And now my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Her would be this, this woman that he's considering committing adultery with. And do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed. Okay, man, when you hear the hat, like, like he, he, he's stretching it out in, into the end of his life even, okay? Now, now, God is merciful. There is forgiveness at the cross, absolutely. But, but one of the things the Bible gives us his law for is that you would understand that, that to break the law of God, oftentimes, sometimes we'll, we'll have multiplied consequences. In chapter six of Proverbs chapter six, verse 32 and 33, he says, he who commits adultery lacks sense, and he who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. In chapter 7, we have like an actual example of this happening. And in verse 18, listen, I'm going to pick it up in 18. He says, come, this is the woman. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let's delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home, and he's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and a full moon he'll become home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him with her. But with smooth talk, she compels him all at once. He follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird is rushed into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. I mean, the, the, the father here, he wants his boy to, to, to picture this, this stag caught in a trap and someone coming and firing an arrow into his heart. He, he wants him to see a bird flopping around in a, in, a, in a trap that can't get free. He wants that image in his mind that, that the law of God is for your life. It's for your blessing. And and so when we look at commandments like, you shall not commit adultery, the Bible is saying, I want to bless you. I want you to live. I want you to know who God is. And and, and he's a covenant keeper. He's a promise keeper. And I want you to be like him because when you're not, 
there are consequences for that. I've encouraged you many times, and I feel like some of you haven't done this yet, and I really, like this is one of those things that like, I really want you to do it. Uh, I, I want you to write down, like whether it's just on a scrap piece of paper and then you just throw it away, that's fine, but I want you to write down the consequences of adultery uh, upon your life. Like, like I, I just, I want you to think ahead and, and I want you to just write down all the things that could potentially, maybe even probably happen if you would commit adultery. I, I, I've done that. I've done that with our men. And you know, on a Wednesday night, I, I've done that on a whiteboard. And I just think it's, it's wise to write those down. This, and what you begin to see is you begin to see this cascading waterfall. It's not just like one thing. It's one thing that boom, 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 boom. And the Bible is encouraging you to see that, to warn you from that, to warn you from the deep agony, the, the shame, the guilt, the loss of fellowship with God. David, after his adultery with Bathsheba, says in Psalm 32, verse three and four, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, my groaning all day long. You see, for a believer, a believer can't live in habitual sin. And so God, will convict. Here's what I always tell believers. One of the greatest things you can, you can just embrace as a believer is you can never be happy in your sin. Like you just can't. First John 3, God will not let you. He will bring repentance. He'll bring conviction. Like there is no path of happiness for you down the road of sin. Verse 4, for day after night, day, day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Uh, you should write down the deep agony and prolonged pain to your spouse. You should write down the deep agony and prolonged pain to the family of the person you sin with. You should write down the deep and lasting hurt and confusion of your children. You should write down potentially divorce, potentially prayerfully not. I think the Bible would say, say not, but sometimes that happens. And if it does happen, the potential long-term financial struggle for numerous families, if there is divorce, realize that every Christmas, Thanksgiving, birthday party, graduation, wedding, funeral, baby shower, potentially will be much different and much more difficult than before. Realizing your own covenant breaking will have some sort of effect on your children in their own marriages. God is giving you his command to live. That's what, that's what I really want you to see is I want you to see the commandments as God saying, I want you to live. I want you to flourish. I want you to be blessed. And so I'm giving you my law that you might avoid a watershed of misery. Now let's look at this commandment from the perspective of God's good grace calling us to live. Okay, so in order to, to grab onto that, first of all, we need to understand what, 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 is, what is the significance of marriage here, okay? Because marriage is at the central uh, of the command of thou shalt not commit adultery. Um, uh, adultery is what is in view here. I, I believe there's absolutely implications for, for uh, other types of sexual sin, but adultery is, is the sin that's in view here, all right? And at the heart of that is this covenant of marriage. Genesis 2.24, after God creates Eve, brings her to Adam, he says in verse 24, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. All right, there's this beauty of this one flesh union, okay? It is a covenant, okay? And, and, and the covenant is much more than sex, but sex is the, 
the almost the demonstration of or the display of the covenant, all right? But the covenant itself says, we belong to one another. I am yours, you are mine. We are one. It says, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to share everything with you. My money is yours. My possessions are yours. My time is yours. I'm committed to support you, to love you, to care for you in sickness and in health and riches and in poverty, good or bad. We are one. And again, it is a picture of God's covenant making. Ephesians 5, God, God says of marriage, he says a man should 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 love his wife as Christ does the church. And then he comes back to this passage in Genesis. And it says, because a man may shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. But, but it's a picture, Paul says it's a mystery, but it's a picture of Jesus Christ's love for his church, his covenant with his church. And so, so that is the beauty of the marriage covenant. Now, when you, when you commit adultery, when you commit fornication, fornication is, is just sex between one single person, another single person outside of the covenant of marriage. When you do that, basically what you're saying is you're stripping everything out of the covenant, okay? So God has created this covenant and you're just ripping things out, all right? You're, you're, you're ripping out the, 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 the care and the support and the commitment and the truth and the beauty and the purity and the family and the children. You're ripping all of that out and you're taking the, the physical, gratification of your own sexual desire, you're saying, this is what I want. And there are great consequences for that. Tim Keller has written extensively, and one of the phrases that, that he uses uh, about this is, is that you are tearing at the fabric of your soul. And, and, and there's something to that. There's actually something that I, I cannot articulate to you. I know it's here. It's in 1 Corinthians 6 where, where Paul sets aside sexual morality in a category by itself, okay? Not, not as being unforgivable, not as being like, I don't even know that it would be worse than, but it's, it's in a different category than every other sin. And, and I think it's because of this. It's because God in his goodness has given us this covenant of marriage that, that points to and represents the, the picture of Jesus Christ in the church of a covenant-making God. And to, to take sex out of that, to rip it away from all of that, does damage to people. As a believer, what we see and by the way, the, the doctrine of the resurrection is one of the greatest evidences of this. But as a believer, what we see is that what you do with your body is incredibly significant, okay? Um, 1 Corinthians chapter six. 1 Corinthians chapter six, let me read you some verses here. So beginning in verse 13, um, there's this kind of strange statement that Paul makes here, this analogy, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy both one and the other. But the body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body, all right? So he's speaking of a believer here, and if you're joined to Jesus Christ, your body is meant for the Lord, all right? It is meant for the Lord. Verse 15, let's, let's go down, let's keep reading here. Verse 15 says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. He, he, he is describing what we call union, Okay? So, so whenever a person turns away from their sins in repentance and puts their faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we are joined, okay? We are united to Jesus Christ. It, it, it's a doctrine of union so that in a real way, you are joined to Christ and, and, and all that is his is yours. 
Have you read that in Romans 8, where it says you are a fellow heir of Christ? So all that is Jesus, all that he will have, all that he will have for eternity is yours. I mean, that's the beauty of the resurrection. He has been raised from the dead. You will be raised from the dead. Like you're in this union with Christ. In fact, verse uh, or Ephesians chapter two, in this incredible stroke of, of beauty, he, he, he says, you are, you are right now seated in the heavenly places. You're like, I thought I was seated at Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church. You know, I thought I was, I was seated at the Wooder Christian Academy in, in these red chairs. No, Paul says, in a real way, you are seated in the heavenly places. How is that even possible? Because you're, you're in a real way joined to Jesus. And so Paul carries that further, the implications of that, verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Okay, and then he carries it even further. 18, flee sexual immorality, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Verse, verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? So, so there are incredible spiritual realities that have to do with our union to Jesus Christ that that are played out when there is sexual morality or when there is adultery. So that is the context by which we have to read, you shall not commit adultery, okay? Like, like that's, that's the context of this. All right, now, what does breaking that command look like? Well, obviously, it would be for a married person to have a sexual relationship with someone who's not their spouse or a single person to have a sexual relationship with someone who is married, okay? But again, Jesus gives commentary on this in, in Matthew chapter five, lest we, lest we take it to the minimum, okay? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart, all right? He, he doesn't just say lust leads to adultery, which is probably true to some extent, but not always, but he says something even more profound than that. He said, it is adultery, okay? Verse 29, he says, whoever looks, okay? It's a present tense verb with, with meaning the action is not completed. It is a looking and continuing to look. He said, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent, right out of the Greek dif- de- dictionary, let me read you the definition, to have a strong desire to do or secure something, a strong desire to have something that is not yours, That's what lustful intent is. So it is to look upon somebody who is not your spouse with this strong desire to have them, to secure a relationship with them or an experience with them or or, or some kind of uh, of impure um, connection with them. It's not simply the thought that someone is attractive. Lust is is to come back to that person in your mind and to cultivate thoughts about them, to serve desire and pleasure by thinking about them or thinking about the two of you together. And just as we saw with murder and anger, your heart matters. My friends, your desires are the trajectory of your life. Okay, so with anger, we, we drew this line. We've done this often here at Lincoln Avenue. It's kind of a continual illustration that we use. We do this line and we said, okay, and you know, the Bible says you shall not murder. That's right here. But what Jesus is saying is, you know, that, 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 that's, if you just fall, if you just come back a step from that, you're not okay right? But, but if you're on this line, if you are angry, if you're furious with people, if, if you have bitterness in your heart and you take it out in, in, in cold glances or, or, or the cold shoulder withdrawal or, 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 or words that, that would slash and tear apart, you're, you're on this trajectory of anger. You have an angry heart. You have a murderous heart. Maybe you don't have opportunity. Maybe you haven't done the act of murder, but your, your heart is murderous and, and, and you have broken 
the commandment. And in the same way, Jesus would say the same thing about lust. He would say the same thing about adultery, that if you have right here is the act of an impure sexual relationship with somebody, well, okay, but way back here is the act of looking at, desiring somebody that, that is not your spouse in your heart. God is not pleased with people who are angry and lustful, but due to circumstances or lack of opportunity and lots of restraint maybe, have stopped themselves from fulfilling their desires. And I, and I would just add this. Would you be pleased? So Thanksgiving's coming up here pretty soon. A lot of families are gonna gather. Would, if you've got children, or maybe if you are a, you are a child, not if, if you're not, if you don't have a, uh, anyway, no, no virgin birth here. So anyway, um, would you be pleased if you knew your children were coming home for Thanksgiving and they hated each other. They hated each other in their hearts. Like they just despised one another. But because out of honor for you, they're, they're, they're not going to harm or, or, sla- or, or, or lash out at one another while they're at Thanksgiving. Are, are, as a parent, are you like, please? Are you like, this is, this is everything I ever wanted for my Thanksgiving? No, you're brokenhearted. Why? Well, it absolutely makes a difference for you that they hate each other in their hearts. Well, would, would our father be any less? Absolutely not. The full expression of the law, Jesus said over and over again, was this, to love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And listen, lust says, God, I do not trust you I do not trust your design for sex or for marriage. I do not agree with the covenant of marriage. Uh, Lust cannot love a neighbor. You you are not loving someone. You're not truly desiring God's best for them. You're not truly desiring that they be joyful in the Lord, that they be sanctified in the Lord while you are lusting after them. You can't. Like those two just cannot. They they live in opposition to one another. Lust and love are in opposition, which which is so important to point out because there's a lot of folks that get on this line and as they're traveling down the line, they they are telling themselves a lie. They're saying things like, well, man, I really care about this person and and I I really wanna wanna just bear their burdens and I really wanna listen to their problems and I I really wanna just be close to them and I really wanna spend time with them because I really care for them. No, you don't. not, Not according to the scriptures, you do not. You, you, are, you are only concerned about the gratification of your physical desire and you have divorced it from all the good things in God's covenant. And, 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 and if you disagree with that, you simply just don't believe God. You, you don't agree with God. Jesus says in Matthew 5, after he says, you've heard it said, she's not committed adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he goes here, in verse 29, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better for you that, to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it out and throw it away, it's better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, I absolutely believe that this could apply to other sins, Okay. I think the principle Jesus is making here could apply to other sins, but I think it is incredibly significant to remember that he ties this to lust, all right? He does that uh, over and over again in the Gospels. Jesus ties this to lust, okay? He ties this, this, this command to take radical steps to battle against 
lust. And then he says that hell is on the line. I know, what, why, why be so serious there, Jesus? Well, well, there's one universal principle that, that would absolutely apply to this, but applies to other sins as well, and that is to not battle against a sin it is to show that your soul is in jeopardy. So I would just say this, if there's any sin in your life, okay, whatever line this would be, if there's any sin in your life and you're on this line of sin and you're like, you know what, I'm just not gonna battle against this. I'm not gonna fight against it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna repent. I'm not gonna turn away. I'm not gonna believe the promises of God. I am fine staying on this line. Then John, 1 John chapter three would say, your soul is in jeopardy. It is in jeopardy whether or not you truly believe God, whether you truly are born again, whether, as 1 John 3 says, whether his seed abides in you, whether his spirit is in you. Because again, what did we say? A believer cannot live in habitual sin. And Jesus applies that to lust, okay? So so what he's not saying is, is that if if you have periodic struggles with lust, that you're not a believer. He's not saying that at all. He's not saying your your soul is in jeopardy if you have periodic struggles from which you repent. He's saying for for the person that does not battle against this, their soul is in jeopardy. And you ought to battle like you're battling the gates of hell, okay? You, 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 ought to, you ought to, if you're right, I cause you sin, you ought to be willing to gouge it out. Now, I, I don't encourage that because you still have a left eye, okay? And if you don't fix the heart, the left eye is gonna do as much damage as the right did, okay? I'm not encouraging you to cut off your hand. I don't think Jesus was either because again, it's a heart issue, but what Jesus is saying is be willing to take radical steps to live, to live. Again, what are the commandments for? That you might live, that you might flourish. It's the same principle as if, if, if I went to the doctor and, and they said, man, you, you've got some terrible disease in your hand and it's creeping up and it's gonna go up your arm, it's gonna go to your heart and it's gonna kill you and there's no cure for it. The only thing we can do is maybe cut off your arm. I'd be like, cut it off, right? Like, like I, I don't wanna lose it, but I wanna live. And Jesus is saying the same thing. See, and this is, this is poison. Be willing to do whatever it takes to battle against these desires. So what does that look like? A couple of my favorite things to emphasize to you would be, first of all, cultivate right desires for your spouse, okay? Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, most extended First of all, if you read through the book of Proverbs, you have isolated, you know, you got, you got a verse on anger, you got a verse on your words, you got a verse on money, you got a verse on, you know, parenting, right? The exception to that is Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 that are almost exclusively, except for one little section on the sluggard, are all about adultery, okay? And, and in the middle of that, there are these exhortations to his son to cultivate a right relationship with his wife. Proverbs 5.15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own will. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in, in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? All right, one of the things that 
that, that will be the greatest help for you in battling against adultery, against, against lust, will be to cultivate a right relationship with your spouse, to cultivate a, gr- a grateful, thankful, um, desirous relationship with your spouse. Next. This is a very simple one, but I felt like I need to say it again. Believe God. Just believe God. Like there, there's so many sins that we could, we could just take, we could take the power right out of if we would simply just believe. Believe him. This leads to death. Like how many, time, how many ways do you have to tell us that? It leads to death. It doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what you think. Like believe God. Like I, I, I know I think wrong things. My, my desires are deceitful. That's what Ephesians 4 says. I, I have deceitful desires. My desires lie to me. We all know that. How many of you feel like you're hungry when you know you're not hungry? Huh? Like, is that not, that's an everyday experience for me. You know? Like, it, it, it's 9.30 at night, and I want a bowl of cereal. Why? I may have just eaten at 9, I, I, you know? But I, why? Because desires lie. God doesn't lie. God does not lie. He loves you with an everlasting love. He wants to bring you into life. And then finally, if you've ever read John Piper on this, he does such a great job with this. Cultivate spiritual desires. Like, and when you read the Psalms and you hear David talking about as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you, oh God. When, when, you, when you start reading these rich imagery of, of, of being satisfied in Christ, you know what it tells me? That's possible. Like other men have had that. I want that. I, 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 want, I want to be overcome with joy and satisfaction in the Lord, okay? If it's possible, if it's out there, then pursue it. You should want it. Go after it. Go after what Piper calls a superior pleasure. Go after being satisfied in Christ. Pray. Father in heaven, we ask you for grace and help and power, Father, that we might keep our marriage covenants. God, that that the children in this church may enter into marriage, seeing it as a picture of Jesus and the church. God, that we might cultivate an understanding of covenant in this church, of of how you're a promise keeper and that we are to be like you. Father, I pray that you might enable us to support one another in battling against sin. I pray, Father, that there be forgiveness and grace to those who have fallen and, and that that, God, we might be, be excellent at restoring those who, who have fallen into sexual sin. God, that, that we might be the kind of people that, that imitate uh, how you restore those who have, who have sinned and bring them into fellowship. God, may we be those people, both in our marriages and also in this church. God, thank you for the forgiveness and grace that is in Christ, and I pray that that would be applied to every person in this room. Father, we do not seek our righteousness Through our works, God, we seek it through our Savior, Jesus, and we thank you for it. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen.